Thanks, Dad. Good morning. Oh, that's nice. I'll give this to Melissa. She's the quiet one. Hi, everyone. Um, so, like Pastor Dad said, uh, <laughs> Pastor Dad, um, I'm Melissa, this is Jeremy, and our kids are over in Kids Church. We have three of them. There's not a picture of them, but that's okay. Uh, we have a tall redhead named Serafina, and we have Kai and Raya, and we've really been enjoying time with the parents and grandparents, and uh, our kids have really loved getting to know your kids in Kids Church, too, these last few weeks. So, thank you. Thank you for having us. For having us. Sorry. Uh, currently, we're missionary associates to Japan. Um, before we went to Japan, we served on a church planting team in Africa for two and a half years. And we just recently returned, sorry, I got to keep this in front of my face, uh, returned to the States from three years in Okinawa, Japan, serving with the U.S. military and Japanese church. Um, so this morning, we're going to talk about some of our story, um, but we'll get that in a minute. But just real quick, um, we both grew up in church. We walked away from the Lord and made a mess of our lives. And God pursued us and transformed our lives. And we had this tremendous passion welling up inside of us, and, and he called us to go. And he called us to go. Part of following him was following him overseas. Um, we wanted to reach people in the same way we had been reached, which is we were lost, we were broken, we were that sheep, and he came to us. And, and that's what he's called us to do, is to go to the people who are unreached overseas. Right now we're, we're serving in Japan. And Japan is the second largest unreached people group. Um, when we see this word unreached, you might have heard it before. Um, it's kind of one of those key words we say a lot these days. But if not, basically, I think the simplest way to understand it is through the lens of hope. If, if you, let's, let's do a little experiment. If you came to Jesus because somebody told you at some point in your life, raise your hand. Somebody at some point in your life told you about Jesus. All right, that's a pretty good response, right? Whether it was your pastor, your brother, your father, your mother, I think it was all of the above, and I still didn't listen. Um, how would your life be different if nobody had ever told you about Jesus? If you hadn't driven by a church when you were feeling down, if, if you didn't have one of those experiences where somebody walks up to you and just gives you a hug and you find out that they love the Lord, how would your life be like? Um, Thankfully, in America, that's not the case, right? There's people everywhere who love the Lord. But in Japan, it's a very different reality. It's a very different world. You can be born, go to grade school, elementary school, middle school, high school, college, get married, live your whole life, graduate, and die. With 128 million people around you, you might never run into another Christian. Because in Japan, only about 1 in 200 people, but less than a percent, know Jesus, love Jesus. And people, they do, they live and they die without knowing Jesus, and they don't have hope. Because Christ is our hope, right? That's what we believe. And that's what we want to do. We want to bring hope to Japan. We want to, it's kind of cliche, because it's called the land of the rising sun. Um, well, we want the land of the rising sun to know the one true sun, right? Um, I love that we sang that song you said this morning. Um, when we were in Africa... I'm going to get a little emotional here. We sang that song. We were on a tiny island in Africa, and this is our, our team leader. He loved this song, and it was his island because we lived on an island, and it was completely unreached. And he said, we're praying that the islands would see your light, right, as it, as it rises on us. And, and that's our prayer for Japan, that the island of Japan, the 5,000-something islands of Japan, might be 6,000, there's a lot of them, 
um, that they would see the light of Jesus. This next term, we're going to be working on growing in our Japanese language. We're going to be partnering with the National Church. We're going to be working together with a school ministry there. But our ultimate goal is to spend our lives reaching the people who are unreached with the good news of Jesus. Um, we want to encourage you this morning to join our team. We can go, but we can't go by ourselves. We go as an extension of the church, as an extension of the body of Christ. We want to encourage you guys to, to connect with us, to partner with us, to join our team. And that's, there's three real simple ways you could do it. We encourage you to sign up just to get updates, to hear about what's going on, to start having your mind occasionally pulled overseas, even if it's just for a few seconds a month. And the second thing we want to ask you to do is commit to pray. Maybe it's just those few seconds a month that you commit to pray. Say, I'm going to pray. Maybe it's every morning at a prayer meeting. But whatever it is, if you would commit to pray, God works through prayer. I don't, <laughs> don't ask me to understand it, but I'll take it. You can make a difference from here. Commit to pray. If you want to commit to pray, please let us know. We have a book for you about ways you can pray for Japan. Um, and the last way you can pray, you can join our team is to, to commit to give financially. Um, monthly giving is what helps keep missionaries on the ground overseas. We have a table in the, in the foyer, whatever you call it, the entrance. Um, we'd love to talk with you after the service if you have any questions. And there's yummy Japanese candy there, so you there should is. stop by regardless. The Kit Kats got left in the car, so they're a little bit melty, but they're still really good. So, anyways. All right, so this morning, we want to talk about our story. Not so much about what we're going to do, but what God's brought us through to come to this point. And as we do that, we want to share some of what we've learned about what it means to follow Jesus. Now, if you're around me for any period of time, you realize that this is a phrase that I like. Because it wasn't the box that I grew up with. And, and I think that was kind of something I constructed myself. Um, I grew up the box with being a Christian, right? Um, kind of, it's kind of like a membership to a club is kind of the way I thought about it, right? I wouldn't have said that, but that's how I thought about it. You know, like, for example, saying I'm a Cornhusker, right? Or I'm a Broncos fan. You guys are kind of close to Denver, aren't you? I don't like the Broncos. Or may maybe you're a CrossFitter, right? CrossFitter, they're really like, oh, I'm a CrossFitter. That's, that's my club, right? How do you know sometimes Christianity can be a weird club, right? All the teenagers raise their hands. Has anybody ever had an awkward experience at church? I'm going to out my parents here. I love them. But in the church that I was a high schooler at, sometimes I felt uncomfortable. Um, and sometimes that happens. And so I'll give you an example. There was a group of ladies who did pre-service prayer. And I think you know the type. Um, they're the ones who have white hair. They're 50 to 60 to 70. They are praying in all their grandchildren. They are prayer warriors, right? And, and these women were getting after it. And I'm pastor's kid, so... I'm a high schooler, but I'm praying, and I didn't mind. It was, I like praying, and so I was sitting there praying with them. They were kind of getting into it, though. They're a little bit extra, maybe. And as they would pray, their whole bodies, all there was like five or six of them, they, they would shake. And then as they would go, they would, they would go down like this and come back up. And I'm like, this is weird, and I'm a high schooler, and I'm not about that, so I'm just going to sit here. It's cool. I'm cool. But they got a grip, and they weren't about to let me just sit. And so they would grab me and pull me down as I went. It was so uncomfortable, and I, I, I wasn't really happy about it, but it was what it was. Um, maybe it wasn't 
such an extreme situation, but I had a lot of these small things happen, and it gave me this idea of, oh, that's what Christianity is. It's cool. Yeah, I want to go to heaven. You know, I like singing worship songs, but do I really want to follow Jesus? I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. And as you fast forward through my life, I end up walking away from the Lord, made a mess out of my life, came to the end of myself. And as I said earlier, Jesus came to me and he ministered to me right there in the place of my brokenness. You see that the story of the prodigal son, I feel like starts when he's in the mess and in the muck. And I feel like there's that whisper just whispering to his heart. And I met a person when I was there in that place. I didn't find a club. I didn't find a list of rules or something, but I met a person, and he took the box that I had made, and he blew it apart, and he transformed my life. And right now, I'm here because of him, and I'm following him. And it was just this incredible paradigm-shifting experience for me. Uh, for me, I was not a pastor's kid, uh, but we did go to church every Sunday, and I lived in the same house for 17 years. I had the same friends for 17 years, and the same youth group for 17 years. And it was awesome. They were pulling me along with them, and we always had fun. Um, but my relationship with God was always really shallow and weak, and sometimes it felt fake to me. Um, so when we moved to Iowa my junior year in high school, it was really easy for me to walk away from church and to walk away from the Lord because I didn't have my friends pulling me along with, me, with them anymore. Um, I decided to do my own thing, and like Jer says, a lot of times when we do our own thing, we make a mess, and I made a very big mess in my life. And God used my brother um, to bring me back into relationship, real relationship with him. Um, my brother would unashamedly, my younger brother, would unashamedly pester me every single day to come back to church with him. He was attending a college and career age group, and he loved it, and he would not be quiet about it, and he would not leave me alone about it. And it was every day. <laughs> um, and so it was one of those times him and I liked to go country dancing. And we were on the road to Lincoln to go dancing with some friends, and he brought it up again. And I was so sick of it, so I figured I was just going to unload all of my junk on him so he would know what was going on in my life, and he would realize that I was not worth his efforts, and he could leave me alone about it. And he was just quiet. My brother's not really quiet when he has something to say. Uh, so I looked over at him, and he was crying. And my brother doesn't cry. Um, maybe twice besides that time in his whole life. Um, and he was just crying, and then he started praying for me. So then I started crying, and I gave in. I told him, okay, I will go with you once. And if I do, you can never ask me about it again. You have to leave me alone. And he agreed. <laughs> um, so I went. The next time service rolled around on a Tuesday, I kept my promise, and I didn't talk to anyone. I went and sat at the table by myself, well, with him, quietly, waiting for service to start. And as soon as the first song of worship started, I was completely wrecked. I sat in the corner, and I cried my eyes out for the entire service. I don't remember anything about the worship. I don't remember anything about the, um, what was preached or anything. I just cried. And the only thing I do remember about that night is this feeling that I got that um, God still loved me in spite of all of my sin and mistakes and bad choices and all the junk that was going on in my life. And I had this feeling deep down that things were going to change. And they did. So this morning... Today's message is simply titled, Following Jesus is 
fill in the blank, all right? And we're going to talk about three things that we've learned about following Jesus. We hope it can be an encouragement to you. It's not an exhaustive list, um, but it's something we're passionate about. And although it's something that's simple, I think it's something that we miss no matter where we're at in our walk with Christ. So if you would open up your Bibles to John 14, verse 23, is where we're going to start, all right? And while you're turning, I'm going to say the first point, all right? So following Jesus is about a relationship rather than rules. Following Jesus is about a relationship rather than rules. We're following a person, a real person. Jesus was flesh and blood, skin and bones. He died. He rose again in a resurrected body. And he rose, and he's at the Father's right-hand side right now. He's a real person. You know, it's weird to say this, but when we were in Africa, I saw a lot of things that kind of caught my attention. We were in a country that was 100% Muslim. And Islam, I found, is a lot about following rules. You have to brush your teeth a certain way. You wash your hands a certain way. It's like the left hand, the right hand, the left foot, the right foot. Like, you step into a, a room the same way. Like, they have all of these rules. You have to pray five times a day. You fast once a year. And if you don't follow the rules, this, this box, this list of rules, then you are not a Muslim. If, if, if you look at somebody, they're not following the, the rules, you know, oh, they must not be a Muslim. But as Christians, how many of you know that's not how we define ourselves? You're a Christian if you're following Jesus. It, it, Christian came from Antioch. They were called Christ-like, right? And, and they were followers of the way. I think when Jesus was gathering his disciples, he walked up to Peter, and what did he say? He said, come join my club, right? What did he say? That's right. He said, follow me. Follow me. And I think that's simple, but it's powerful. And he took these 12 disciples, and he took them on a, a three-year road trip. We love road trips, but I don't know about a three-year road trip, um, leaving your wife and kids and family behind for that long, quitting your job, and just trusting him for three years. And I can't imagine how much they learned and built a relationship with him. In John chapter 14, we're coming towards the end of that road trip. Jesus has just washed the disciples' feet. They had their last supper. They took communion. And... He's giving this last dialogue, three chapters, 14, 15, or four, 14, 15, 16, 17. And he's just giving them this last bit of encouragement. He prays for them, and then he goes to the cross. And in chapter 14, 23, he says this. He says, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. It's also read, he will keep my word. Um, I want to say that one more time. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And that's the part I want to focus on right here. And he says this, he rephrases it different ways in chapters 14 and 15, five different times. You ever heard like if something's repeated in the Bible, you got to pay attention? Well, Jesus, the last thing he says in this discourse is one of the, this is one of those things, and he says it five times. You really got to listen and when I read this, my first thought was, oh, okay, if we, if we obey his word, then it shows that we love him, right? And I think that's true in a way, but the emphasis is wrong, because what's the emphasis there? That's right. It's on obeying. So it's my job to follow this list of rules, right? But that's backwards. 
See, I think we cannot fully and truly obey Him until we love Him. And that, there's a process there. There's a process of getting to know Him just like the disciples went through. But I think we have to learn to love Jesus so that we can follow Him and truly follow Him and obey Him. In the Bible, a lot of people encountered Jesus and they were completely changed by Him. And that's what happened to me. I chose to follow Him again and it started this relationship. And relationships are all about trust, right? If you don't have trust, do you have a relationship? I'm not sure. And, and Jesus would say to me, he'd say, when I was a new believer, he'd say, hey, you got this little thing here. I want you to give it to me. I want you to trust me with it. And, and I didn't really want to, but this is part of the deal, right? I said, I'm going to follow you. So I would give him this thing in my life and I would, I would take his word and I would trust him with it. And something would happen. Over time, I would notice healing happen, transformation happen in my life. And time and time again, it happened. And this is about the time we were at this young, uh, young adult group with Melissa. And people look at me and they say, Jeremy, you're smiling like all the time. And you're laughing. They, they say, hey, I love your laugh. You laugh like your dad. It was, it was a weird thing, but I, I didn't realize that until that moment in my life. And what had happened is I had come to know and have this relationship with Jesus. And he had transformed my life. And I had a desire to follow him. Um, so after I gave my life to Christ, I tried my best to follow him and be obedient to what he called me to, but I didn't always get it right. Um, there were many times I got it wrong. Uh, I said the wrong thing or I did the wrong thing or I lost my patience. Um, there was one time before I met Jeremy, I was getting ready to move back to Colorado and God told me to stay in Omaha. And I didn't like Omaha at the time uh, and I really didn't want to. Uh, <laughs> But I did, but I made sure to let God know I was very frustrated with him and upset about it. Uh, and so even though I had a bad attitude, and even though I get it wrong, and sometimes I get mad at God, or I fail again, uh, he never left me. Uh, it didn't scare him away from me when I got mad and yelled at him. Uh, he didn't get exasperated with me when I failed and got it wrong again. Um, he walked through life with me, and he kept encouraging me onward. Uh, because of what I'd gone through with him, I was able to trust him at his word um, because we'd spent that time together building relationship. Uh, but sometimes we try to get ahead of God and his timeline. So when we were newly married in Omaha, you'll see a theme here, we decided what's keeping us in Omaha. So let's go. Let's go somewhere else. And we decided we were going to move to Seattle. It's going to be fun and exciting and new. I'd never lived in a big city. I'm a country girl. And we were looking at schools for Jeremy to transfer to and apartments, and we were really excited. And then we decided to stop and pray about it, and our prayer went something like this. God, we're going to do this. And God said, hang on, uh, what is this you're going to do? <laughs> I want you to stay in Omaha. I planted you at Good News Church for a reason, and your time there isn't done. I think you should stay. So we decided to stay. We weren't super thrilled about it, but we did it anyways because following God was more important to us and wiser than our own random ideas. And thankfully, we did because six months later, God started us off on our missionary journey, and our relationship with Good News Church um, was a really big part of that. I don't think we'd be here today if we had chosen to disobey God and leave Omaha. So that leads us to our second point, which is following Jesus is going to look different than you expect it to. 
Um, I was a massage therapist for several years before I gave my life to Christ. And after I did, I didn't really know what my life was going to look like, but I did have specific expectations. I expected to live close to my family, to get married and raise my kids right next door to their cousins so they could grow up like I did. Um, and when God called me to missions overseas, that changed everything. I did not have a box for that or any expectations. I had no idea what life as a missionary was going to be like. Um, so I could either choose to chase after my own expectations for life or what I did end up doing was surrendering those expectations and wants and desires to follow the call Jesus had on my life, even though it was very different than I thought it was going to be. And it's been uh, nonstop completely different than what we thought. I, I remember being a kid, and I knew I had a call to missions in my life, and I'm like, it's going to be like I'm a secret agent. It wasn't like that. A lot harder, a lot less cool. Um, but I guess that's one of the things about a relationship is you're following a person and not a list of rules, right? Rel following Jesus is about relationship. And, and people don't always do what we want, especially when it's God. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And His will be done, not ours, right? Um, but that doesn't mean it's always easy, right? And I think we see this, I want to look at Peter. Peter, I think, experienced this firsthand. You can turn to Mark 8 if you'd like to follow with us. Peter had this uh, uncomfortable conversation with Jesus. Starting in verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked them, who do people say I am? And they were like, yeah, you might be John the Baptist or Elijah or still some others, maybe one of the prophets. And he said, but you, what do you, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ. And he had the, he had the right answer, right? And, and Jesus was like, you've got it. But then, if you look at verse 31, Jesus begins to tell him what it's going to look like. He predicts his death. He began to teach that some of them must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, teachers of the law, and he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly of this, but get this, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter didn't like what Jesus said it was going to look like to follow him, did he? What did, what did Peter think? Peter think Jesus was going to be uh, riding on a white horse and conquer and kick out the Romans, right? But that wasn't Jesus' plan. And Peter didn't like that. It didn't fit his expectations. And uncomfortable conversation, but I love what Jesus says here in verse 33. It says, but when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. He said, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. See, Peter had his own agenda, and it wasn't God's agenda. And then he says this. He says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me in the words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And we will follow up on that in a moment. But I just want to stop here. Um, there's a man named Tim Keller. He's a pastor in New York City. Um, brilliant man, loves the Lord. 
And he says this. He says, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. Let's say that one more time. He said, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. And isn't that true? Don't we take, like, our desires, will, and intentions and say, God told me to do it, right? But sometimes when God asks us to do something different, do we obey? See, in Christianity, we have this in the box. We have this phrase called, give your life to Christ. But sometimes that just means I'm in the club now, right? But that's not what that phrase actually means. When we give our lives to Christ, what we're doing is we're saying, there's a person named Jesus, and I am giving my authority over myself to him. We're saying, I'm going to do what you asked me to do. I'm going to go where you asked me to go. I'm going to say what you asked me to say. And that would be scary if he wasn't so good. But he is good, and he loves you. It's not always comfortable, but it's always good. So sometimes I think while we're following Christ, at least for me, I expected my life to become magically a smooth and straight path. And I expected my bad habits to work themselves away with very little effort on my part. And I expected to become a saint with endless amounts of patience for my little children. And, you know, never-ending grace for my spouse overnight. She needs lots of grace. Um, but that did not happen. Uh, sometimes we expect life to keep, to keep doing life the way we want to do it and for Jesus to be the icing on top. Um, but that's not how it works. You know, we're following Jesus, not the other way around. And we need to choose to be imitators of Christ and understand that he is not, and he should not, have to conform to what we expect or want. And that leads us to our last point. Following Jesus is a relationship rather than rules. It's not going to look like you think it should or like you expect it to look. And following Jesus is hard. It's frightening. It's uncomfortable at times, but it is worth it 100% of the time. We are doing some training when we are prepping to go to our first term in Africa. It was like 2012, I think. Yes, I think you're right. And we had a session about what missions really looked like. It was called Taking Off the Rose-Colored Romantic Glasses. Um, There were missionaries talking with us who'd been in the field for several years, and they shared their experiences with us. We thought it was going to be really good. Um, It was really good in a different way. Um, They did not hold back. They were very vulnerable and open about what hardships and what the realities of life as a missionary looked like, um, such as being lonely a lot. Um, They talked about how hard it is emotionally to not get to those life milestones that people back home get to, like owning a house, buying a car, having pets. Um, They talked about how their kids miss and miss out on relationships with their grandparents and their aunts and their uncles and their cousins. Uh, about how you sell everything to follow this call of God across the sea. And when you get there, you realize you're not really making a difference sometimes. Um, They talked about how you will miss birthdays and graduations and weddings and new babies and the deaths of people you love back home. And I don't think anyone left with dry eyes at all. Um... And after they got done sharing about all that, they were asked, you know, is all the pain and the difficulty 
and the unmet expectations, is it worth it? And all of them answered with no hesitation, yes. Um, it was all worth it because Jesus is worth it. Uh, he deserves our praise, and he deserves the praise of every nation and every tongue. And he deserves our obedience when things are going well and when they're not going so great. And it's in those times of hardship and pain and desperation that we have the wonderful opportunity to grow closer to him and to see new facets of his character that we wouldn't necessarily see when things are going good. Uh, one example, when we were in Africa, a lot of our examples are from Africa, um, we would run out of water several times. No water in the cistern, no water in the barrels, like no water. It was dry season. Um, and we learned to trust him as our provider for even our daily needs. We would cry, I would cry and pray for rain, and he would bring rain. Like, not just a little, but he would bring an abundance of rain to fill our cisterns, to fill our neighbor's water barrels, for me to wash the clothes and the kids to cool off a little bit. And it was in that time that we learned we could trust him literally for our daily needs, even the small ones. And I don't think we would have gotten that close to him if we hadn't gone through those experiences. We don't want to put a good mask on. We want to be real and just understand that following Jesus is hard. Jesus said you have to count the cost. He said count the cost at the beginning so you know what you're signing up for. And Sometimes we choose not to following Jesus, don't we? I have a, a, a bad missionary story. So we were in Japan, and we were starting a Japanese worship service. We had a great uh, guitar player, and I was kind of doing a lot of the logistics and setting up the sound and the lighting and working with the pastor, and the pastor would give the message afterwards. Well, unfortunately, it was also a military church, so the guitarist was a military member, and he moved away. And they came to me, and they said, Jeremy, we want you to play guitar. And I'm like, sorry, maybe you didn't know. I don't play guitar, so no, like a good missionary should. Um, and it just kind of ate at me. for like lit I, I literally waited a whole month. And finally, I was like, all right, fine. I'll do it. I'll do it. Um, so I went to him, and then I, this was before he had moved. They asked me ahead of time, and I, and I began practicing. And I spent like every spare hour for a month practicing. And I finally got to the point where I could lead guitar and worship. I couldn't sing at the same time very well, but a little bit. And so I would try to help our Japanese pastor because he was out of his comfort zone sometimes. And I would play guitar. And so we got to the very first song. And I forgot to put the capo on. And if you're not a musical person, that means I was playing in the wrong key for the entire song. Like, I tried to make it work. It didn't work. It was just painful. Um, but the positive side of that story was that after I waded through the hardship, I had a connection with the Japanese people, with our pastor, and, and with the homeless people that we went to, with, with the children that we, we did worship with in, in a way that I never would have before. And I was able to minister to them in a way that I didn't have an opportunity to do before. I think when, when we're following Jesus, we need to look at the reasons why we want to say no. Like, a lot of times we say we just don't want to, but why? And I think sometimes it's because there's something else that we're following over him. We're following that thing first, whether it's comfort or control or whatever it is, our own desires. Sometimes I think we don't think we are capable. Like, God, you're asking me to do this, like me playing guitar, but I can't, so I'm sorry. Um, and if you feel like God's calling you to something and you don't feel like you're able, I have encouragement for you this morning. There's a guy named Scott Sauls. He says this. He's a pastor and an author. He says, you're not called to be amazing. 
It's not anywhere in the Bible. You are not called to be amazing. You're called to be faithful and obedient. And you can leave the amazing to God. God's good at amazing. He needs faithful people. He needs people who are willing to say, all right, here I am, send me. Apparently, after Jesus rebuked Peter and called him a Satan, Peter didn't get it. Peter, a little thick in the head, kind of like me sometimes, um, he went on to deny Jesus three times. We know the story, right? Jesus was being crucified, and they're like, hey, you were with him. And he said, no, I wasn't. I don't know who you're talking about. It wasn't me. Um, and can you imagine how he felt at the end of that? Can you imagine how he felt like, Literally, God came to earth, and at the point of his greatest need, Peter turns his back on him. And can you imagine the crushing discouragement and how much he probably felt like a failure, like he'd blown it like the big one, irreparably. And he went back to fishing, right? That's where where Jesus found him, and we're going to pick it up in John chapter 21. Jesus, they, he, he, they, they were fishing all night. They didn't catch any fish. And he says, hey, throw your nets on the other side. And they get this huge haul. I think it's like 152 fish. And they're like, we know it's Jesus. And so he says, hey, come have breakfast with me. And then we'll start in verse 15. He says, when they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? He's going back to love. Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus had said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, Jesus. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time. I think Jesus was making a point. He said, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. He says, feed my sheep. And he says, I tell you the truth. And this is, this is powerful, right? He says, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. He's telling him again, following me won't look like you want it to look like. And then verse 19, he says, Jesus said that this to indicate the de- kind of death by which he would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Following Jesus isn't easy, but it's, it's worth it. And you get to know God in a way that nobody else on the face of this planet gets to know him if they're not following God. Um, we're going to close here in just a moment. The worship team can come forward. Um, but before we do been in church a long time. I have this tendency to get to the end of message and be ready to go. But I want to create a space for us to just pause. Um, the Word of God is set forth to accomplish something. And I believe God wants to accomplish something in our hearts this morning. So I want to ask you guys just a, a few simple questions. You don't have to answer out loud. Um, you can just close your eyes and pray to the Lord yourself. We're going to have the, the prayer and the ministry team come forward um, after afterwards, and then there'll be a time for prayer. Uh, this morning, Melissa and I have talked a lot about our lives and what Jesus, following Jesus has looked like for us. 
And it's about this relationship, right? And it's about trusting him no matter what. But I want to ask you this morning, where are you this morning? Where is your relationship with the real God? What does that look like? I think we all go through those hard times and difficult times in our life. Sometimes we can say, God, I haven't been putting you first. Or maybe, maybe you're saying, God, I've been doing the Christian thing for a while, but I haven't been following you. He wants you to follow him. He wants to know you. He wants to love you. The second thing I want to ask you is, how is Jesus calling you to follow him? In what ways? Whether it looks like serving in kids' church or maybe it looks like baking a cake for your neighbor. That's what Melissa loves to do. God has called her to that, to, to loving on people. How is it going? Are we obeying? Can I tell you, delayed disobedience is not obedience. You're saying, hey, God, wait, I, I'm not ready yet. on my timeline, not your timeline. That's not obeying him. But I want you to know, just like Peter learned, that it's not too late. It's not too late to start following today, even though Peter turned his back on the Son of God at his moment of greatest need. Jesus still came to him and restored him. He said, follow me. And the last thing I want to say to you is, if you've been following Jesus faithfully, there's a good chance that you're probably feeling tired, discouraged, hopeless. And Melissa and I just came through this really intensely difficult season where we felt just in the dark at times, just trying to follow God faithfully one foot in front of the other, just feeling like, God, where are you? And he gave me a couple of verses, and I want to share with you one of them. It's Psalms, verse, sorry, chapter 56, verse 8. He says, you keep track of all of my sorrows. You, he's talking to God, you've collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Can I tell you this morning that God sees every difficult moment? He sees every moment of heartache and pain. He knows what you're going through. And he says, the Bible says in Hebrews 11 that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Whatever God's calling you to, it won't look like you expect. And it's not going to be easy, but I promise you it will be worth it. Um, I don't want to put anybody under any pressure this morning, but if you don't know Jesus... We'd like an opportunity to introduce you to him. And if you feel like you have been called to follow Jesus, but you're lost in that and you don't know what that looks like, I've been there. And it's painful, but we'd love to pray with you. The ministry prayer team would love to pray with you. Um, so if you want to make your way up to the front, um, please go ahead and do that.